Hello and welcome to Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour. This is a basketball show, podcast, everything in between and whatever you need it to be. This is episode 11. Today is, well, it's the 28th because it's Wednesday, but this is the Friday episode. I hope you're all doing well. I'm doing pretty all right myself. Um, I got a rant. You you can't see it because it's just like brightness and you might not even be watching this with visuals on YouTube, but it's really gray out and it looks kind of like it's it's going to rain. Um, and I was told for like the past week that it was going to be 75 degrees today. So a little pissed about that. Side note, in high school, I think this was junior year, junior year of high school, first period too. So like Right at 7.30 in the morning, my um, AP U.S. history teacher, and if you don't know what AP is because your school didn't have those or you're not from America, it's like advanced placement. I think that's AP. Um, and there's another like two two letter uh, advanced type of class and my, my high school just was uh, didn't do those. It was APs. But every single morning, basically, almost every single morning for the entire school year, this one man who was my AP US history teacher, who was gigantic, by the way. He was, I think he was like maybe the football coach, the 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 girls middle school track team coach. One of those things. You know how in like every high school, like half of the teachers double as like something else because that's how like spread thin the school system is. Um, so this like really tall, like six six dude who was like always like really sweaty looking, and he would always say in the most like eh? kind of way he would say you know in another lifetime if i could choose a different career i would be a meteorologist because i could be wrong half of the time and still have my job now that's pretty quirky that's pretty like whimsical um if i said that to you you'd probably go okay guy but to hear that like every single day at 7 30 as like a smarmy teenager as like all juniors in high school are um oh my god that was brutal that was a miserable thing to have to hear it was like, oh my god, you are no longer funny, Mr. P. Um, moving along. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how I'm feeling now. Because as I get older, as I'm years removed from high school, I'm kind of like, honestly, guy had a bit of a point. Guy had a bit of a point. You can just be wrong. You can just be wrong sometimes, I guess. Um, and, you know, nobody's calling cancel culture isn't going after the meteorologist. That's all That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Just uh, just, just food for thought there. Anyways, um, no no need to uh, delay or try to find things to fill airtime with because we've got a, a loaded, packed episode um, for y'all. Uh, this one, I've got a bunch of news to run through. Um, and then I want to talk about this interesting conversation that's been going on between Jason Tatum and the MVP conversation, discussion, just I guess the award in general. Um, and then I want to talk about the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. So without any further delay, uh, let's just get into it because as I just said, a bunch of news over the past like week, um, some just fun random stuff I wanted to touch on. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. So the first thing I want to talk about is Victor Wembanyama, uh, the French feek, a freak, the French phenom, I think is actually the more applicable uh, name and also I think the one that's actually used. Um, but this was... I think on Saturday, um, he says, kind of just throwing that out. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, on Saturday, Victor Wembanyama facing the Lakers put up a stat line of 27 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 5 steals, and 5 blocks. If you cannot tell, that is a 5 by 5 meaning a 5 
at least in five different statistical categories. This is an incredibly rare feat. Specifically, this is the NBA's first 5x5 game since Yusuf Nurkic had a 5x5. Who knew that? In 2019. Um, and the last player to have specifically a 27, 10, 8, 5, and 5 or better was Hakeem Olajuwon in 1990. Um, in which the stat line for anybody who was wondering is 29 points, 18 rebounds, nine assists, five steals, and 11 blocks. So that's a pretty unserious, comical stat line, but ridiculous. The dude was everywhere. He was getting his hands on everything. Um, it's uh, it's ridiculous. The amount of games Wemby has with five blocks and five steals this season is two. The the amount of games that the rest of the league combined has with five blocks or five and five steals is zero. So unreal. Um, Victor Wembanyama is the only uh, is the only rookie to record a five by five since Jamal Tinsley in two thousand and one. I'm gonna be honest, guys. I don't know who the Jamal Tinsley is, but good for him and he sounds like he had a hell of a rookie year um so basically two rookies ever in league history have ever put up this um hey you know what shout out to jamal tinsley he had a he looks like he had a pretty decent career especially for the pacers shout out to him and 6-3 6-3 almost bordering bordering on a second round pick at the 27th spot in the 2001 draft and Somehow managed to put up a 5 by 5 He was averaging 9.5 points and 8 assists in his rookie year. And almost 2 steals. Wow. For for 2002, that is, that is not bad. Alright, anyways, this is, uh, wasn't intending to be a Jamal Tinsley appreciation chest, but, you know, sure, why not? Um, so, this was just ridiculous, um, and it kind of had everybody uh, going crazy and talking about... Wemby and his incredible feats. One, for example, StatMuse provided us with a fun fact that night. Uh, Wemby has already recorded four stat lines that no other player in NBA history has recorded. And these stats are, uh, on November 18th against the Memphis Grizzlies, he put up 19 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and 8 blocks with two three-pointers. Um, December 12th against the Lakers, he put up 30 points, 13 rebounds, two assists, three steals, six blocks, and four three-pointers. February 12th against the Raptors, he put, he put up 27, 14, five assists, two steals, 10 blocks, and two three-pointers. And then February 22nd against the Sacramento Kings, 19 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, five steals, five blocks, and one three-pointer. So obviously the uh, connector to those are incredible defensive presence plus the ability to knock down outside shots. Just not really something that's existed um, in NBA history quite like this. So he's going to have a bunch of these stats probably throughout his career um, where he puts up like a ridiculous stat line that maybe only like a David Robinson, Will uh, Hakeem has ever put up, but he's doing it with like two or three threes in the game. So we're going to see a lot of that, I think. Um Wemby, just incredible. One more fun fact for you guys about this whole thing. Victor Wembanyama has more blocks than seven NBA teams in the month of February. Uh, 28 over the uh, Bulls, 36, Knicks, 35, Kings, 35, Clippers, 34, Blazers, 26, and Heat, 23. Um, just, just absurd, this kid, and what he's done in four months of an NBA career. I mean, that's I've talked about it before, and I'm not going to make this into a... Um, Victor Wembanyama powwow sesh um, to just kind of go wow and uh, talk about all of his fun stuff because I do that all the time anyways but 
this is crazy. The youngest 5x5 five five in NBA history. The first one in like five years. The first one is a rookie in 23 years. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this, because this honestly makes it even crazier, I think, is that he was one steal, I think, a steal or a block away from having a 5x5 five five in the game right before this one. So basically, at this point in time, just a bit over halfway through his rookie season, Victor Wembanyama is a walking potential 5x5 five five every night. I mean, it seems ridiculous that that's the point we're at, but I think it might be. This is incredible. There's a huge um, a huge tweet that went viral um, where someone said um, Victor Wembanyama is going to do to the 5x5 five five what Russell Westbrook did to the triple-double. Obviously, he... Uh, won his 2017 MVP because he averaged a triple-double uh, over an entire season for the first time since Oscar Robertson did in the 60s, I believe. Uh, and then he proceeded to do that. Uh, well, he did that. It got him the MVP, even though he was like the sixth or seventh seed because like, wow, you just can't give it, not give it to the guy who's averaging a triple-double for a whole season. Uh, and then he con- proceeded to do it four times over the, a five-year stretch. So he kind of uh, devalued it a bit. And also just the fact that we, we kind of see he, he was sort of ushering in an era that's not entirely his fault of just a lot more people have the offensive ability to get 10 assists and uh, a bunch of points and the triple-double is a little less miraculous than it used to be still not an every night occurrence of course but uh certainly not as rare and the thought that a five by five could be normalized because of Wemby is ridiculous um he's like two and a half away in like steals uh, or he's like three steals away some it was some ridiculous stat that was like over February he's like two steals and like a block and a half away from just averaging a five by five for the month so this dude's ridiculous. I'll move on. Uh, the next thing I wanted to say, a little bit um, less serious. Um, not that that particularly was. What, what am I saying? Anyways, um, this is about the Charlotte Hornets, who got pretty active over the trade deadline. We're not going to rehash all that, but they moved on from um, from PJ Washington. And one of their more notable acquisitions was Grant Williams, who uh, I don't... I guess I can look this up really quickly. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I should have really... Uh, had this one ready to go, but Grant Williams averaging 13.5 points, um, five rebounds, a little under two assists in his seven games now with the uh, with the Hornets, but in his first like four games, first five games, he was averaging almost 19 points on uh, even better efficiency than usual, uh, not that he's ever like particularly bad but he's at like 45 percent from the field 36 percent from uh three even though he can be a 40 percent shooter and he was shooting like 43 percent um anyways that's kind of died down but the hornets are five and two since the trade deadline so just thought that was like fair something worth uh pointing out they are the 13th seed they are going to stay the 13th seed for the rest of the season they are not moving up they will likely not move down um so you know, it's all for naught, really. It uh, doesn't really matter, but just thought that was something kind of interesting to uh, put out there. And uh, dear God, I hope this doesn't make the Charlotte Hornets think they're like closer to something than they are. But, you know, just thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, next story I want to hit on quickly is uh, in Golden State, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr has agreed on a two-year deal for $35 million uh, in a contract extension. 
this deal makes Kerr the highest paid coach in league history at $17.5 million a year, taking over uh, Monty Williams' contract. Monty Williams' contract is undeniably worse. It is for much longer, and, um, well, we just know how he's been as a coach on the Pistons so far. But, yeah, this puts him... I think only under Greg Popovich, who doesn't really count in this uh, category of like highest paid coaches anyways, because he is both um, president and coach, uh, that being Greg Popovich. But yeah, this aligns uh, Kerr with the remaining two years of uh, Steph Curry's deal. So interesting to see what they might do in like two or three years. Um, but yeah, good for Steve Kerr. I'm kind of a Steve Kerr hater. I don't, I shouldn't say that. I I retract that statement. Not like a full-blown hater. I just, I tend to feel like I'm a little less hot on Steve Kerr than, I don't want to even say a lot of people are, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just sort of like, okay, whatever, Steve Kerr. Um, anyways, we'll just we'll just keep it moving. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, in Atlanta with the Hawks. Trey Young is to undergo hand surgery and is expected to miss at least four weeks. This was... Um, made news on Monday, Sunday, one of those Sunday or Monday, I think it was Sunday. Um, so he's going to be out for basically all of March and, um, yeah, that's, that's rough for a Hawks team that is kind of sniffing, staying in the play-ins kind of thing. They're the 10th seed right now. Ironically have won their last two games without Trey, but one really looked too far into that. Uh, especially because the only answer you're really going to get to that is like, DeJounte Murray number one option and like that's that's not a correct thing to say or think so um yeah uh this sucks if I was a Hawks fan I'd be like uh uh like you know my like one and only thing to watch Hawks games for that's not true there's like other things on the Hawks that are like fun Jalen Johnson is really cool and DeJounte Murray's fun too but um also Bojan Bogdan Bogdanovich sorry um but yeah so this is kind of rough definitely fuels a bit of the talks around like Wait, is Trey Young really going to go to San Antonio? Like, is is he really going to... Are they really going to pair him up with Victor Wembanyama? Because it's not a bad fit. The ages make the timeline not bad at all either. Obviously, Trey Young is t- turning 25. Um, maybe even 25. 20, he is 25. Um, but still, that would leave plenty of times of their... Uh, plenty of time in their primes to be overlapped. Um... You know, is is he load managing here a bit? Just is is he calling this season a wash? I don't know, but just figured I put that out there because I mean it's Trey Young. It's one of the premier players in the league, and he's going to be out for a month, so um, worth putting out there. Next thing I want to talk about is the Clippers, who unveiled new jerseys and logo for the next season, and particularly for the logo, I would assume that means just like going forward. Um, I don't really know how to feel about this, and a lot of NBA fans don't really know how to feel about this. Um, obviously, I can't really like show you. I just like yank out my monitor and twist it around for you guys to see, but um, you can look it up. Uh, and in general, if you know what the Clippers colors are, just that very classic borderline plain, dare I say, red, white, and blue color scheme. Um, all the colors are still the same. They're just sort of like a little bit toned down, um, not quite as bright, and they just feel a lot deeper and richer. So I'm really a fan of the colors. The blue, again, it's just this like deep, rich, uh, uh, darker kind of blue. And then again with the red, it's not dark, uh, but it's very rich, and it doesn't kind of 
pop quite as much uh, like a or a tornado red like the um, like the former logo has. So I'm a fan of the colors, but the logo is really where I scratch my head. Not really a fan of this whole thing. Um, uh, so again, I can't really show you, but it's a very plain looking C inside of a white circle inside of like a, a larger uh, cl newer now clipper blue circle that says los angeles clippers it's got a red ring around it and then in the center it's white it's got the dark blue c and then a really weird amalgamation of things to make a logo um i see what they were going for i'm just not sure all of it together really works um so plain c and then you have a ship uh, the hull of a ship set off with the seams of a basketball. So the kind of undercarriage of the front of the ship has the kind of indented uh, seams of like the stitching on a basketball and then ones across like that too. Um, it's really hard to tell that that's what it was. So if they wouldn't have told me, I wouldn't have guessed that those were emulating seams on a basketball. Um and then the silhouette of the ship in general is a nod to the team's origin in, in the San Diego Harbor. Obviously, the Clippers used to be the San Diego Clippers, um, which, you know, I, I love I love homages to, like, the origins of where, you know, this team or franchise, organization, whatever, got its starts. But I don't know. The ship just sort of feels really out of place. Also, because, like, it looks like a commercial liner. It looks like a cruise ship. It doesn't look like, I don't know, uh, a more, like, personable uh civilian ship if you will um but yeah anyways kind of really weird uh choices for the logo not sure about that but i like the colors so that's cool um and then the last piece of news um because yeah a lot of news as i said but the last piece of news i have uh before we get into some stuff is this was off of the pablo torre finds out show which not sure what this is. I'm going to be honest. It was the first time I heard about this, but this is some sort of a sports journalist. And uh, yeah, but he had on a uh, former Grizzly scorekeeper turned Sixers exec, Alex Rucker. Um, and he admitted to juicing NBA stats in the nineties um, and says that the practice, uh, that the practice was quote reinforced internally within the Grizzlies. Um, the quote, or the excerpt rather, is uh, there's there's a discussion that wasn't an assist, that was a pass, and the majority opinion by a mile was, oh no, that's definitely an assist. It's John Stockton. It's up to us, in very small part, as statisticians, to support or reinforce stars and excitement. So, this is kind of like casually a huge thing, I feel like. Um, obviously, it's impossible to know the extent of uh, this, you can't really just, um, go, oh, okay, 90s are cooked, everything from the 90s is done, um, you know, strike it, strike it from the records, um, and even as someone who's, like, a bit of a, you know, I'm a modern basketball and whatever basketball evolves into, into the future kind of guy, um, so I'm not, like, a defender of the 90s or 80s or whatever, so, um, in a lot of ways, this, I'm not going to say affirms like a bias or anything, but especially when they say like John Stockton, they were juicing his numbers. I'm like, yeah, I fucking, I, oh, I'm trying not to swear as much, but goddamn John Stockton bothers me as a player. Um, so like, yeah, I don't know. This like, isn't crazy. 
but like it also kind of is really the the question would be like what's the extent and you'd like have to go back and watch all these games but it was echoed by a lot of people who are like yeah man if you go watch some of these games and then you like look at the stat sheet from the said game uh it's actually kind of obvious that this stuff was happening during this time and i don't know that seems like it should maybe be a bigger story than it ended up uh really being this came out like uh yesterday morning so uh we'll see but i mean it's just chilling with like 450 likes on twitter uh haven't seen really too many people talk about this um but yeah something definitely interesting uh hard to tell if this isn't happening nowadays too especially with how the nba has intertwined itself with sports betting um but yeah i don't know i just thought that was interesting uh food for thought i suppose and uh good to know that some of the Grizzlies scores in the 90s were uh were admittedly juiced (laughs) okay and i actually completely just forgot but there was one more piece of news i just added it this morning because it happened last night again i'm recording this on wednesday so last night was tuesday um you guys can do that math i probably don't need to hold your hand through all of that but the Cavs played uh the mavericks at home in cleveland and it was a hell of a game i didn't unfortunately watch much of it because i didn't i i i was watching the uh the knicks play and the Celtics play the Sixers um so unfortunately I was not watching this one but um damn like Luca went off for like 45 and 10 as his ass usually does but Max Struess in the fourth quarter uh in 15 minutes uh, or in did he play 15 minutes on the what was it what was it in his last 15 minutes because he definitely played more than 15 minutes right in his last 15 minutes uh, on the in the game uh and in the fourth quarter he went five for five from threes just rattled off uh, sorry it was 15 points in five minutes that's what it was in the fourth quarter i wrote down my note wrong um but yeah he went five for five uh from three in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter plus a walk-off dagger so he was just absolutely knocking down all of his shots in the fourth quarter. A lot of people are saying it's one of the most, if not the, like, statistically speaking, clutchest performance uh, in the fourth quarter of the season. I could definitely see it if you're just not missing from three. Um, and then with, like, two seconds left after the uh, the Mavs lay it in, Luka passes to right under the rim, um, whoever it is lays it in. Two seconds left, Cavs don't have a timeout, so they can't advance the ball. It ends up in Max Struess's hand, and he just, from 55 feet out and nothing but net. It was insane. It was insane. It's the second longest game winner, um, buzzer beater specifically, in NBA history. Uh, Only beat out by, um, if we remember from two seasons ago, it wasn't just last season, was it? It might have been shit. Um but either way, in the last two seasons, uh, Devontae Graham on the Pelicans uh, against the Thunder hit ridiculous and the longest buzzer beater and game winner uh, in NBA history. I think that was like 63 feet, something like that. Um, Shea hit like a ridiculous 30-footer to tie the game. And then with like a second left, Devontae's like, nope, I'm going home. Um, so this was insane to... to not just is it like random role player hits you know basically full court shot um to win the game but it's like to to that be the cap off of a fourth quarter master class from a three and d player where just like okay we're gonna get stops and i'm going to hit everything okay i hope you guys can't hear dogs barking 
Okay, apologies. Um, I I ended up just actually getting up because I thought I could maybe just power through um, my dog barking, but then the doorbell started ringing and it was some goddamn solicitor, so that stuff's annoying. Um, but anyways, we're going to move on. That was uh, all the news from this past week, basically, that I wanted to talk about, and we're just going to hop into our segments now. All right, so this was a kind of interesting uh conversation that sparked up in this past uh, week and it surrounds Jason Tatum and the MVP conversation and whether he is is getting a fair shake in these discussions um and whatnot so two quotes that I want to specifically bring up and I think he had even one or two other ones he kind of went on a whole uh a media tour this past week when it came to this specifically not really but just a bunch of random things of, of this nature sort of came out um so to read two of them really quickly this was after a game uh, Jason Tatum gets candid about his stance in the MVP race. Uh, I won't have the points per game of the other three guys ahead of me. Um, bold of him to assume that he ranks fourth in these conversations, but whatever. Uh, we're trying to be the best team that ever, where everybody on the team feels valued. It's not just about me. True. Uh, now let's read the other one. Um, this is, uh, Jason Tatum hopes that the MVP voters will understand his team's dynamic. I sure hope they do understand Jason. I don't have the points per game of the other three guy, three or four guys, Will, but I think that voters are smart enough to understand the dynamic of our team. Essentially, having to do less, scoring maybe on certain nights, but still impacting the game in a lot of ways to kind of ensure that we win every single night. Um, so... Uh, I don't know, man. It sort of it sort of feels like you know the answer. It it like all the things you're saying are kind of the things that make a case against you, um, your team's success and whatnot. Um, I think it's obvious that Jason Tatum can, uh, and has played at an MVP like level. Like if you were to just remove all context and look at the guy, you could sure be like, yeah. In any given year, you put this guy on like a half decent team, he can make an MVP case. Sure. Um, I think he reached that sort of like threshold um, within the past like two, three years. But I don't know if it's specifically in this year. How can you seriously make a claim that Jason Tatum is the MVP when he's on the most stacked roster that routinely plays well when he's having a bad game and when he's not playing entirely um, by by accounts of or, or sorry. By um, by on and off metrics for all people who are routinely on the MVP uh, in the MVP conversation, as to say, Jason Tatum has the worst on off stats um, by like a country mile than these guys because uh, his team just doesn't need him as much, uh, nearly as much. Um, I I don't think that this should detract necessarily from just like how we look at Tatum or just Tatum as a player. Uh, I think. He's fantastic, you know, and he is leading uh, the Celtics to by far the best record in the league. And I mean, the Celtics are a contender among contenders. So he is the guy on that team and he'll probably end up with another first team all NBA selection. But as far as this specific conversation goes, how is he more valuable than a Luka Doncic, than a Shea Gilgis Alexander, than a Nikola Jokic? I just don't think he is. Um, also, on like a macro level, I just don't think he's played as well as these guys, let alone had more value. You know what I mean? Um, he just hasn't had as good of a season, a better season himself 
than the guys who are actually like ahead of him in this discussion. Um, and the conversation that Celtics fans seem to always want Jason Tatum uh, or always feel like Jason Tatum is being left out of is that like top five best in the league uh, tier of players and feel like he routinely gets shafted in that regard of the, you know, Jokic, Giannis, um, Embiid sort of type of players. Um, and I just don't think he's like at that level. There are drawbacks to his game. If I'm, you know, to be critical for a second, he could be more efficient. He could clean up that shot selection, especially because he's on a team with guys who are like all basically shooting over 50% from the field. So it's not like he needs to be getting up a lot of those shots, um, but he does. Uh, and he could be a better playmaker. And when you look at his game as a whole, I'm really nitpicking at that point. I'm really getting into the weeds there um, because, again, Tatum is a fantastic player. But the MVP discussion does kind of beget these kinds of criticisms and uh, the focusing on some of these minor faults. Um, and and so I think once you hold him to that level of scrutiny, he doesn't really hold up the same way. Um, and another thing, there's obviously a box score statistical output element to the MVP award specifically. Um, and with the numbers Jason Tatum has had over the past few seasons... Uh, he's just not up to that level, uh, that sort of 32-plus points per game, 7 to 8 assists. Um, and if it's a big man, 10, 11, 12-plus rebounds. Um, it sounds kind of nuts to say that, like, oh, he's just averaging, like, a calm 27, 8.5, and, and 5, because that's incredible. But uh, And especially the fact that he's doing that on such a loaded roster, um, you know, borderline almost even more impressive. Uh, not the efficiency part, though. Um, it's just not these like world-eating stat lines that uh, kind of make him appear that he's just head and shoulders leagues above a lot of his other peers. Um, and so I just don't think uh, he, he really has the juice for this kind of conversation. Uh, we look at the Boston Celtics, and he's right. They are winning almost every game. They are by far the first seed. They've won uh, 46 games, 46 out of their uh, 59 games so far. Very likely the Celtics will be a 60 win game, uh, or 60, 60 game win, uh, team this season. And it's not that Jason Tatum doesn't have a part of that. Again, he's, he's the number one option. He is the guy on that team, but that is a product of a cult. That is a collective effort right there. A 60 win Boston Celtics team this season specifically. That is not like you, you take Jason Tatum off of this team, for example, they are still a playoff team, probably. Honestly, they're still probably a 45-win team, maybe. Um, but you take uh, you take Luca off the Mavs, and they're they're the 12th seed. They're a 25-win team. You take Jokic off of the Nuggets, they're a 25-30-win team. Shea off the Thunder, they're a 35-win team, kind of thing. Um, there's just not that kind of impact for Jason Tatum uh, to really make this case in addition to the kind of statistical output. The only way I could really see Jason Tatum truly deserving a place in this conversation is if the Celtics win a hilarious disproportionate amount of even the games remaining. Because again, they're probably going to end up with like 60 game, uh, 60 wins on the season. That's going to be a good chunk more than any other team in the uh, in the league. Um, they're they're literally eight games above the Cavs, um, but they would need to probably win like 67, 68, 69 wins, uh, and then I think at that point you could be like, all right, it's a collective effort, yes, but like 
that's the only time I think like a best player on the best team uh, case sort of uh, has any merit in the MVP discussion because um, ultimately it should just be about like quality of play and impact and if you're the best player on the best team but that's a result of like commutative effort then it's like you're, you're not the league's MVP I'm sorry. But if the, if the Celtics are like so clearly head and shoulders, like a, they're like a seventy win team, uh, then sure, I think at that point maybe Jason Tatum does have a, a more legit case for MVP. But I don't think they're going to win quite to that overwhelming extent. And I just don't think he's as good as some of these guys. Um, while not being technically, you know, on paper as valuable as those guys. So yeah, in my opinion, Jason Tatum doesn't really have a case for MVP. As long as the Celtics are sort of designed this way, I don't think he will really ever have a case for an MVP uh, unless they have some down year where they're all injured basically. um, And he still holds them to like a top five, top four kind of seed. Yeah, we can have a different conversation at that point. But yeah, these types of teams are, you know, they're they're built for some bigger hardware. You know, they're going for championships. They're not going for uh, propping up their individual players for their own awards. Um, we say that while Marcus Smart won the DPOY two years ago, but we're not going to talk about that. So uh, yeah, Jason Tatum, I think it's a pretty weak case for MVP, um, but still a fantastic elite among elite players. And that these things can exist at the same time. We shouldn't diminish him just because he's not in these conversations is my point all right time to get into some nitty-gritty uh we're going to talk about the pelicans now i'm actually super excited to uh to do this one pelicans have been a really fun team lately uh so let's just get into it um if you don't know they're the fifth seed in the western conference sneakily the fifth seed might i add and i'm you know it actually it it Pays dividends that they won last night against the Knicks, unfortunately, because they had dropped down to the seventh seed, and I was like, oh, this kind of this kind of hurts my case. It it's not so much of a sneaky if you're the seventh seed, um, but then they won and they jumped right back up to the fifth seed. And honestly, I think that's like indicative of just how close and how much of a bloodbath the Western Conference is. I know I keep talking about it, but it's like, oh my God, cannot wait for the playoffs. The, the the top eight is ridiculous in the Western Conference. Um, I'm going to do an episode at some point where, like, the entire thing is me just, like, predicting the entirety of the playoffs if, like, it was to end at that moment and with the way they're set up because I just want to talk about these matchups. Um, but that's for a later date. Let's talk about the Pelicans right now. Um, as I said, again, fifth seed sneakily. They're 8-3 and three in their last 12 games. Uh, They have the 14th offense and the 6th best defense on the season, but specifically the 13th best offense and 3rd best defense in those last 12 games. Uh, Some of the bigger things to point out about the Pelicans recently during the stretch are, uh, for one, Zion. uh, Zion Williamson has had a much bigger role as um, an on-ball creator. He's averaged uh, 5 assists this season, but is up to almost 7 uh, in the last 12 games, so him being a uh, a bigger uh, playmaker is a big part of this. He's also averaging a bit over 24 points in the last 12 games versus 22.5 on the season. Uh, and defensively, he's averaged a hair under a stock and a half a game this season, but a- around two uh, in the last 12. And then his efficiency has actually been around the same, uh, 58% from the field this season, and like uh, 54, 55, somewhere in the mid fifties in the past 12. Uh, so it's nice when the, it's nice when the efficiency doesn't go really anywhere, but the volume increases slightly. Um, 
but yeah, um, this this what we what we've been seeing from Zion and his increased volume as a ball distributor uh, has been really interesting, and I think opens up uh, the Pelicans' offense a lot more, gives them um, some more options that. You don't have to start every set with Zion being in a particular position because he can bring up the ball. He can distribute it. He knows how to make those kickouts and things like that. Just growing your playmaking IQ and abilities in those specific regards, really, in just being able to keep the ball moving, uh, opens up wonders. You know, if if the offense if the offense comes to a grinding halt every time you have the ball in your hand. You have to be like next level, generational uh, in terms of your like volume and efficiency at that point to really make it worth doing that versus just having guys who can keep the whole thing kind of going. So when you have you know a star level player like Zion who's just growing and, and will continue to grow hopefully as a playmaker, that's a really good sign, honestly. Um, and Brandon Ingram, we got to talk about Brandon Ingram who. I think in general just doesn't get nearly enough credit for being as consistent and reliable as a player um, as he has been in his time in New Orleans um, and sort of just a player that he's really grown into this perennial all-star caliber 23, 6 and 5 a night kind of guy. Um, and remember, in 2022, the Pelicans clinched the eighth seed in the play-ins, and then they pushed the Suns to six games in the first round, being led by Brandon Ingram, who was averaging 27-6-6 in that series, while Zion was out for the entire season. So, uh, when healthy, when everybody sort of recouped in there, uh, Brandon Ingram is someone who I think comfortably can be a number two option on a competitive-to-contender team. Um, and yeah, I think I think the body of work he's had in New Orleans uh, speaks for itself and shows that this season, specifically in the last 12 games, 22 points over six and a half assists, five and a half rebounds with almost two stocks a game and on almost 40 percent from three. I think it's like 39.2 or something like that. But we'll let him live. We'll round it up. Uh, so, yeah, the point I'm really getting at here is that. It kind of feels like the Pelicans are heating up. It really feels like they're uh, getting into a stretch of not being as inconsistent, something that has kind of uh, marred this team for one reason or another, whether it's their on-court play or availability. Um, But either way, they've had a good stretch uh, recently, and they've really capitalized on it. They've crawled their way up. They're sitting... You know, one out. Uh, you know, they're the, they're the next person outside of the unbreakable top four. It really feels like um, with the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. It's like that is tier one of the Western Conference this season. They're right. They're right there. They're right outside the gates. They're going. Let me in. Let me in. Um, and maybe they can. Uh, and all this is without mentioning C.J. McCollum, who is averaging uh, almost 19 points and five assists uh, this season and is a big shot maker, a decent playmaker, um, and someone who I really think can be a high-level third-option kind of guy. Uh, Trey Murphy the third, who is an elite defensive wing, uh, his shot hasn't been falling the same way it has in his first two seasons, uh, particularly from three. He was killing the Knicks last night at the Garden. He shot 6 from 11 from 3 that game, and especially in the fourth quarter, just sort of buried us. It was kind of uh, brutal to watch, but regardless, we'll just keep this on the Pelicans for now. Um, but outside of that, um, regardless, uh, outside of his you know 
slight struggles with uh with shooting the three ball it's kind of hard to ask for more out of uh out of a guy like trey murphy for what his role is um usually off of the bench um yeah he's been pretty incredible he's a great defender uh he's big he's like six eight super athletic long arms uh he can finish with competence uh yeah and then there's herb jones herb jones who is a goddamn monster uh, I think to call Herb Jones just like another elite three and D wing would be accurate, but not. It would be a little limiting as a descriptor for Herb Jones. I think um, when it comes to offense and not just shooting threes, but he is shooting the hell out of them. Uh, he's shooting fifty six percent in the right corner. Also, 63% around the rim, 50% from the left arc of the three line, 43% from three in general on the season. And granted, this is a stat from two nights ago. So just put that in, in mind that this is like, eh, you got to tweak it a bit for when this uh, episode comes out. But per NBA University, thank you very much. Herb Jones had a 78.2% effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot field goal attempts in the last 15 games again this is like two games ago but yeah ridiculously high number uh plus he's at 64 and a half percent true shooting on the season so whew, this dude is is elite as a catch and shoot player um upper echelon whatever you want to call it uh the highest sort of percentile in terms of like a lower if a uh, usage rate but like high efficiency sort of players an og and an ob if you will um, but yeah, and defensively, I mean, that's, that's what I, that's, this is really the point I'm trying to make is because all of that is to say, that's not even really Herb Jones's calling card. That's not what got Herb Jones into the NBA defensively. Herb Jones will make it a living hell for your best player. He will put him in federal prison, state penitentiary, if you will. Uh, that might be more apt. I believe state penitentiaries are a bit a bit worse, a bit more disheveled and brutal in federal prisons. I don't know. I've never been to prison, but that is uh, the understanding I had. Either, anyways. Um, I guess the asterisk to that is like if the player is like a wing guard, forward, perimeter player, that sort of thing. Um, he's not locking up one through five or whatever, but he'll lock up that dude's ass if he's anything other than that. Um, yeah, he's ridiculous. I'm sure you've all seen the uh, the the TikTok where it's like. Uh, POV, you're being guarded by Herb Jones, and it's literally just a picture of like an Alcatraz jail cell, and it's like, help, let me out, help. Uh, yeah, that's that's likely what uh, it's like for your best player to be guarded by Herb Jones all game long for 48 long minutes. Um, so yeah, he'll lock that dude's ass up while being just ridiculous levels of efficiency from multiple points across the floor. You really couldn't ask for more from Herb Jones. Um. I don't want to be super long-winded and run down everybody on the roster. Um, so to kind of quickly go through a few more people, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, the Pelican center, is a hell of a defensive anchor. He's defended around 59% of all two-pointers this season and 65% of shots within six feet. Um, and for whatever it's worth, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, he's played every single game for the Pelicans so far. And, you know, a lot of people, they like to say availability is the best ability um, and I think there's definitely some credence to that, um, especially if you're such a defensive rim-protecting presence like this, and you're playing every single game. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think that makes up for maybe having a 
more skilled quote unquote center. Um, when you have someone who so reliably gives you this kind of defensive production, um, and beyond Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Look, I'm not going to get into everybody, but there's Dyson Daniels, Jose Alvarado, Najee Marshalls, Jordan Hawkins, Larry Nance Jr., who are all solid to even great defensively and vary in their sort of um, plug-and-put-in sort of offensive output. Uh, I don't know how. I think Dyson Daniels, Jose Alvarado, Larry Nance Jr. certainly would get uh, uh, minutes in a playoff rotation. I do not know as much about Najee Marshall and Jordan Hawkins, but regardless, they, at least in the regular season, are all very much up to par in terms of, like, uh, 3 and D, like, role player kind of things, um, and one of the, one last thing I want to point out, um, not one of the last, but uh, something interesting that I want to point out is, uh, their lineup of Dyson Daniels, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas have a point differential of plus 21 against opponents on the season. This uh, this is information brought to us by cleaningtheglass.com, cleaningtheglass.com. Let me try that one again. Um, and yeah, that plus 21 point differential against opponents ranks in the 88th percentile of lineups, so incredible. And their lineup of C.J. McCollum, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, and Jonas Valanciunas is plus 24 and a half, which is in the 92nd percentile of all lineups. So this team can be really, really good. Now, the sample size on that last lineup in the 92 percentile is like 150-something minutes together. So it's not like an absurd amount, but hey, that's still like multiple full games uh worth of that lineup and again 92nd percentile it's like you can't really ignore that even if it is a slightly smaller sample size um so yeah this team is really really good or can be really really good um i definitely have questions about the pelicans uh offense particularly their scoring and in general when a team relies so much on rotation guys to be hyper efficient uh that's not like the easiest thing to just bet on uh especially for the play in uh play-ins uh plus the pelicans have just been in the past handful of years um not as consistent as some of the upper echelon teams in the western conference or just around the league uh in general uh, and that has to do with both fluctuations in like their shooting and also health and availability so i want to give them a fair chance in that regard it's not like they've had multiple seasons kind of like come and go while being fully healthy and a lot of the times when they are healthy for a prolonged stretch this conversation just comes up then we had it like two seasons ago um where it was like hang on like, I mean, I know I was saying it going into this season. Hey, if the Pelicans can be really, like, actually healthy the entire season, they're not that far off. Like, they're not as far away as you might think because a lot of the times they are sitting in that play-in conversation because Zion only plays, like, 40 games throughout the season or Brandon Ingram gets hurt for a little bit or or whatever it is. Um, But when they're healthy for a stretch, suddenly it's like, oh, hang on. You know, I'm not going to maybe take them to get out of the West or something like that, but this team is not as far away as you might have thought. Um, and and that's exactly what we're seeing. It started out as a slow season for the Pelicans, and they were dealing with health issues. 
Um, but they've had a pretty good run of it so uh, for for a while now, and they are capitalizing on it. That's really that's one of the things I love about the Pelicans is they have had this uh, up and down wishy washy um, string of availability and health. But this is a team that, for the most part, when they've been healthy over those stretches, has really capitalized on it. And I've got to really throw as much respect as I can in that regard to them for that. Um, uh. Plus, if we're looking at it like um, in a playoff setting, Brandon Ingram does have playoff experience. Uh, CJ McCollum definitely has playoff experience. Um, and I just wouldn't count on guys like Herb Jones, Trey Murphy to like suddenly collapse in the playoffs, uh, even if they maybe weren't shooting 50% from the right corner, uh, 56%, 50% from like the left arc. Um, you know, sh- just maybe it's not like that high, but. I don't see them just sort of like falling off and turning into like random like scrub rotation guys uh, at any point. Um, they're kind of they're they they really feel like they're built for the moment, uh, big time kind of players. Um, so I like the I like the Pelicans as a Western Conference dark horse, not to come out of the West, but you know depending on matchups, I think they could easily go to a second round conference finals, even again depending on what the situation is, um, and. I think one of the biggest reasons is because it's fair to point out the Pelicans aren't just fighting for a playoff spot this season. They're fighting for a possible home court advantage. So, you know, they've got their sights set high. Uh, As I said, they're the fifth seed. Um, But it's honestly entirely plausible that by the time this episode comes out on Friday, they're not the fifth seed. But, like, whatever, I think the point will more or less still stand because... It, it'll be a difference of like one game of stats added to that. Um, and as I said before, them fluctuating says more about how tight the Western Conference is than necessarily them. Uh, and as it stands at the moment, they're two games back of the fourth seed Clippers. Um, so I think none of that is out of the question, really. If they continue to just keep it chugging, keep it chugging, you know, they're not going to win every single game from here on out or something like that. But if they stay really consistent, winning like, 60% of their games um, while remaining healthy, they have a, a really fair chance at ending up in like a fourth seed situation with home court advantage going into the playoffs. It's entirely possible. Um, so yeah, I, I think this team could go into the playoffs with that advantage. And once you're at that point, you know, I brought up the Sun series from two seasons ago. Um, they got they got pretty caught off guard by the Pelicans playing them at home. So having to play them at home with home court advantage, uh, or having to play the Pelicans as just like a team with home court advantage, uh, that sounds like an exhausting task, is what I'm getting at. That sounds exhausting. Um, so yeah, either way, I'm just sort of excited by this team. I'd probably take the Pelicans over any of the teams that are currently below them, and maybe even like a team or two that are above them. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, I'm really excited at the prospect of the Pelicans getting more playoff reps and more experience in this regard anyways, because it's it's still fairly young, fairly unproven team, even with all of this uh, potential. And I think they're definitely a threat. I don't think you can really uh, look at them and say otherwise. You can certainly have other teams above them if you want. That's your prerogative. But I don't think you can count out the Pelicans. Don't count the Pelicans out is uh, is really the 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 main uh, 
ethos to this whole rant. Um, they've been playing great, and I can't wait to see sort of where they land in the standing so we can evaluate from that point. It's very possible that they lose in a first-round matchup. I mean, right now, as the fifth seed, they would face the fourth-seed Clippers without home advantage, and I would take the Clippers, obviously, in that matchup. So it's possible, depending on that, um, that they just don't go far. But that extends for a lot of these teams uh, that are very good and have a high potential to go as far as like a conference finals but also maybe they just get stuck with a shitty matchup in the first round and they lose regardless i just like the idea of them having another seven game series of experience because they lost in the play-ins last year and they had a hell of a series the year before that so that was fun um anyways i look forward to kind of seeing what damage they do at that point and um yeah that's that's basically all about the pelicans all for the pelicans uh don't count them out, man. Don't count them out. All right, and um, that's that's about it for this episode. I don't really have anything else I want to say. Uh, well, that's not true. I do. Um, I'm trying to get this back. This this week was not a two a week after last week was. Um, I'm trying to get back into that being a consistent thing going forward, at least for like a little bit, um, to see how that works out and if it's even like worth it or if the episodes sort of diminish in quality because of that. Um, because, you know, I've mentioned it, it's it's hard to sometimes get, like, really, like, a juicy hour worth of things for every episode, and especially if you were to do that two times a week, some of those episodes might just, you know, suffer because of it, and at that point, it's like, is it actually worth it, or should I just chill out and do one a week, but make it, you know, bigger and better every time kind of thing, um, so... Yeah, I, I like the idea of two a week and specifically a Monday and Friday. Uh, is Tuesday and Friday better? Probably not. I'd sure to love, I would love to hear any feedback on that. Friday, Monday and Friday just seems like it would kind of be a little bit better um, just for like spacing out purposes. But yeah, I'd sure love to hear some uh, feedback on that and we'll see if we can keep that going. I'm I not doing a earlier in the week episode this week has given me um, some decent opportunity to plan out and structure some episodes like going forward. So I'm a good like I'm a good like week ahead, a good like week, week and a half ahead. Um, so I don't want to jinx myself, but we should be able to do two a week for like at least a little stretch and uh, and, and see how that how that is, how that goes, uh, etc. But yeah, that's basically all I've got for this episode, episode 11 of Hoops Hour. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hoops Hour. You can email uh, hoopshourmail at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, want me to talk about something on the show, any of it, that's where to do it. Uh, anyways, thanks again. I'll be back soon, but until then, take care.